When will the Mashiach come? Jews interpret the final verses of Daniel. Professor David Bergen. Okay, we still have uh, half a minute. I just want to say, I was asked to um, translate even uh, basic terms into English. So if I say Breshit, uh, which I probably won't, and then say Genesis, that is because of a request. Okay, so um, when will the Messiah come? Uh, another way of saying that is how can we figure out when the Messiah will come? Uh, and uh, the first answer, uh, and probably the last, is that we can't. Uh, and uh, if we need uh, evidence for this, uh, uh, let me read the first source. Uh, from uh, uh, Maimonides' uh, code, uh, the laws of kings, Hilchot Melachim 12.2. Um, I'm going to start uh, with the second line, the second word of the second line. V'chol elu hadvarim, all these matters, uh, by which he means the details of the unfolding of the messianic process, v'chayot bahen, and uh, those associated with them. Uh, no one knows how they will unfold until they actually unfold. These are sealed matters among the prophets. We'll come across that word in Daniel. Uh, this is a radical statement of his. Uh, the rabbis also uh, did not have a tradition about these matters. Whatever the rabbis said about this, meaning the Talmudic rabbis, uh, they said based on their understanding of biblical verses, not because they had a tradition. Uh, he then says something which I'll skip. We don't have to get involved in, the, the, in, in his difficult position about when uh, there is or is not a dispute among rabbis. Uh, in any event, uh, how these things will uh, take place, in what order they will take place, and the details of how they will take place are not a fundamental of the faith, unlike the messianic belief itself, which he thinks is a fundamental of the faith, uh, people shouldn't uh, spend too much of their time studying the Midrashic statements about such matters. Uh, um, all right, and uh, skipping a few lines again. Uh, and a person should also not calculate the end. The rabbis have told us uh, or maybe I should simply say the rabbis have uh, uh, informed us of a curse that they have placed on such people, uh, where they said, Tafuach datan, or in some versions, Tipach ruchan or Tipach atzman, shel People who calculate the end, uh, not to put too fine a point on the translation, should drop dead. Uh, Ella. 
Kimosha Bayanu. By the way, the, the uh, but, but he should wait and believe in the uh, general uh, uh, doctrine as we have explained. Uh, it's interesting, by the way, that uh, in a famous passage uh, where Rabbi Akiva identified Bakofa as the Messiah, and another rabbi who was a relatively unknown rabbi, uh, Ben Torta, uh, disagreed with him. He also used a language of this sort, uh, which I think says something about the intense feelings about this entire subject. Uh, ben Torta said to Rabbi Akiva, Akiva, ya'alu asavim bilchayecha, va'adayin ben David lo yavo, uh, which again in an English translation that in this case uh, almost uh, requires that it be used, Akiva, you will be pushing up daisies before the Messiah comes. So, you know, the, the, these are really ex- extraordinarily sharp terms, which I purposely translated the way I have, but I think that those are accurate translations. Um, why this curse? Well, the rabbis tell us why. Right away, in this uh, Talmudic passage, uh, they say, because if you calculate and the Messiah doesn't come on the dates that you have calculated, people will say, Kevan Sheloba Shuv Ba. Because he didn't come, uh, we uh, have to give up hope that he will ever come. Right? Uh, however, uh, Jews badly wanted to know. Um, uh, here's one line from a, a Slicha. Uh, Eich zman kitso, uh, kitsi rather, nechtam velo noda. How is it that the time of uh, my end, meaning of the redemption, uh, is sealed uh, and unknown? Um, I don't have to explain why people wanted to know. And so they tried. Uh, but the effort required justification in light of this curse. And I uh, uh, point you to the second source on your sheet from the Ramban's uh, book of redemption from the Sefer HaGeulah. The Ramban is Nachmanides. Uh, we have to explain ourselves. We have to justify ourselves. Um, if we're going to calculate the end, as I intend to, he says, um, in light of this terrible rabbinic curse. The Omar, and in uh, providing this justification, I will say, uh, In a brief translation, the rabbis knew how far away the guaranteed end is, the certain end is, and they were afraid that if people would calculate and get it right, uh, then uh, people will simply lose their hope because of the enormous distance between the time of the rabbis and the time of the final end. Uh, And so they didn't want people to calculate for that reason. Ve'achshav, and now he says, batlu mimenu hatanot ha'ele. These uh, concerns uh, are no longer applicable. Uh, And he gives three reasons. One, 
Mimash anachnu b'acharit hayamim. We are already close to the end, and therefore this concern of enormous distance is no longer applicable. Two, v'shekva hayu acherim me'anshei Torahtenu shechibru bo sfarim, v'lachein ein migra'at la'am b'amreinu gam anachnu da'atenu ba'inyan hazeh. Other people have already written books calculating the end, uh, and so uh, I won't do any damage if I will give my opinion as well. We'll see in a minute that I think this may even be a sharper argument than it looks like at first. Um, so uh, I left out the, the last few words of this second point. Uh, our uh, our uh, providing a, a date it doesn't uh, won't do anybody damage because of its its uh, its distance. And three, v'lo batam hazeh mipnei shedvareinu b'kates divrei shem avefshah. Number three is the rabbis were afraid people would lose faith if people would calculate with certainty. But if the calculator makes it clear that this is just a possibility, uh, and then the Messiah doesn't come at that date, people will not lose their faith. Uh, so we have here three arguments. With respect to that second argument, I, I think that underlying this is, is something even stronger than the assertion that other people have done it, so I can do it. Um, other people had dates that were considerably sooner than the date the Ramban provided. We'll get to his date. But it was 1403 CE, and he was writing in the 1260s. There we know of dates uh, that were uh, circulating in the 1260s, pointing to a redemption in 1286 or 1290, uh, which means that if the Ramban would not calculate, then people would lose faith, exactly what the rabbis were afraid of uh, after 1286 or 1290. And so the Ramban's providing a date especially since the Ramban, he doesn't say this, uh, was a lot smarter than those other people, uh, and, uh, and Jews would know that uh, and say it's more likely the Ramban is right, he would actually uh, prevent the loss of faith that the rabbis were worried about. And so this argument turns the rabbinic concern 180 degrees, and it becomes almost a mitzvah for him to calculate. But he doesn't say that. That's my addition. But I think that on some level it, un it underlies uh, the argument. So uh, there's one other point I'll just say very briefly, and that is that this argument of how close the redemption is uh, sounds a little bit ironic to us so many hundreds of years later. Uh, but it recurs, understandably. There's a story told about the, the, about the Malbim that he was uh, he says that he was in a wagon uh, with his father when he was a, when he was a, a little boy, uh, starting out on a two-week trip, and after an hour he asked his father when they're going to get there, and his father slapped him across the face, and two weeks later he heard his father ask the driver the same question, and he asked, "Why did you slap me when I asked this?" And the answer is uh, obvious. Um, the Malbim had a, a, a three-stage redemption, which the first year uh, was 1917, the final year was 1928. Uh, uh, when I first started to teach uh, in the Middle Bronze Age, 
Uh, I was teaching a class in Yeshiva College, and I mentioned that uh, the Malbim State of 1928 uh, was uh, fulfilled through the founding of Yeshiva College. Uh, a, few, a few months later, uh, I was told uh, that another uh, professor had said with, uh, with great seriousness that 1917 did turn out to have a redemptive dimension because of the Balfour Declaration. And the student said, uh, and I had said, that, it was, that 1928 was also fulfilled through the founding of Yeshiva College. So I learned, or I should have learned, that when I tell a joke, I should say, this is a joke. <laughs> Um, okay, so people wanted to know when the Messiah would come, but how? But how do you know? So, the the primary method that appears to have been used in the time of Chazal and saying that immediately tells you that there are messianic dates on the same page of the Talmud. Well at least that there are messianic dates in rabbinic texts despite the curse. And some of them are on the very same page as the curse. So how do you know? How, how can you attempt to, to figure this out? So in the time of, Chaz, of, of the rabbis, uh, the method uh, appears to have been what, uh, what uh, the academics call typology. That is, looking at events or figures of the past and seeing them as indicators of what will happen in the future. <coughs> and uh, this was strengthened uh, by a biblical verse uh, that says, uh, As in the days that you left the land of Egypt, I will show them uh, miracles or wondrous deeds, uh, which meant that the events of the past and particularly of the Exodus uh, and maybe of the bondage in Egypt, as we shall see, uh, give us information about the end of days. Uh, we, we find the phrase that we will come across again uh, presently, uh, that the final redeemer will be like the first redeemer. So now let's look uh, at um, just three of the calculations. There are not very many calculations in rabbinic texts, five, uh, push it maybe, there are six. That's all there are. Um, but let, so I, I want to look at three of them um, to get some sense of how this typological uh, uh, process worked. So um, let's look at source 3a. Um, <coughs> the world will last 6,000 years. 2,000 Tohu, 2,000 Torah, 2,000 the days of the Messiah. But because of our many sins, some of those last 2,000 years have passed. Uh, now this uh, probably is based on the six days of creation, which are the types for the 6,000 years of the duration of the world. Um, now this is a monumentally important text for reasons that have little or nothing to do with today's discussion. Uh, in Jewish-Christian debates, uh, this uh, passage uh, was of, uh, became of enormous importance 
once Christians became familiar with rabbinic texts uh, because uh, it appeared to prove two fundamental Christian doctrines. One, that the Messiah must already have come because we're in the last 2,000 years. And Christians claim that this business of some of that uh, period having passed was added later when it didn't work out in the first place. Uh, and it also proved that the age of the Messiah, that the Motamashiach, uh, is not an age of Torah. 2000 Tohu, chaos, 2000 Torah, 2000 the Messianic age. Just as the age of Torah is not an age of chaos, so the age of the Messiah is not the age of Torah. Uh, it's not nice for me to say this without discussing any of the answers that Jews gave, but that's what I'll do. I will, I will rely on the uh, strength of your faith. Um, now, because of the last sentence, uh, this uh, was not really a useful passage for predicting with any level of confidence when the Messiah would come. Uh, although it's possible that it played a role in expectations for the Jewish year 5000, that is 1240, uh, which, which brought us to the majority of the final 2000 year period. And towards the end of this talk, uh, we will see that it played a central role in what may be the most dazzling messianic gematria ever. Uh, but for that, I will ask you to wait. Well, the year 5000 uh, uh, of the Jewish calendar uh, equals the year 1240 of the Christian calendar. So, I'm sorry? How did you get to 5000? 5000 takes us halfway through that 2000 year period, the Messianic period. And therefore, when you get to a rove of that period, when you, get, when you, when you hit the majority of that 2000 year period, uh, you know, you can expect, and some people did, uh, the Messianic Advent. It, that's not a major point for, for, for this talk. Um, so now uh, uh, we uh, go to the next two and the only additional two rabbinic uh, dates that I want to look at, uh, and this will get us to Daniel. The first one has nothing to do with Daniel. Uh, uh, if you look at um, uh, source 3b, uh, it says, after the 400th year uh, since the destruction of the temple, if someone offers you a field worth a thousand dinars for just one, do not buy it. Um, and uh, presumably that is because the final exile will have the same duration as the first exile, the exile in Egypt, uh, which, uh, which uh, is uh, one I don't even have to uh, demonstrate. But uh, if you look at 6a, you are reminded that the duration of the original servitude in Egypt, according to God's covenant with Abraham, the Britain Habitarim, was 400 years, and uh, consequently the last exile will be 400 years as well. Uh, that seems to be almost self-evidently the basis for this rabbinic calculation. But then we have uh, a, a really mysterious number uh, uh, in source 3c on the same page of the Talmud. Uh, do not buy that field after the year 4231. 
three years later. Where does this come from? And um, that, uh, that, I think, uh, brings us to our passage in Daniel, which will uh, uh, stand at the heart of uh, the remainder of this talk. So look at source four. You can look in your Tanakh as well, but I decided to put it on the source sheet because we'll have to be coming back to it. <coughs> um, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but um, the you know I have uh, uh, the English text as well. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, the Hebrew text as well as a uh, translation into English uh, for you on page three of the source sheet. So. This angelic figure in verse 7 is telling uh, Daniel, uh, with, with an oath yet, that uh, that uh, for a time or after a time, times and half a time, all these things will be completed. That's not exactly clear. Then, uh, in verse 11, we are given another uh, piece of numerical information. From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Verse 12, Happy or blessed is the one who waits for and reaches 1,335 days. Okay. Uh, now this is uh, very interesting material uh, because at first glance, uh, the rhetoric of the passage, uh, even after after the first glance, the rhetoric the rhetoric of the, the rhetoric of the passage appears to indicate that we are being provided with information as to the time of redemption, uh, and as we shall see presently, uh, messianic calculators through the centuries, assuming for apparently good reasons that yamim in this passage means years, subjected it to intense almost microscopic scrutiny to make it yield its secrets. Uh, in, the ra in, in, in rabbinic texts, in Chazal, however, uh, Daniel plays almost no role in determining the time of the end. So why not? We have uh, explicit uh, dates here somehow or other. Uh, you ought to try to understand these verses, no? Uh, and, uh, and then you'll have an idea when the Messiah will come. Um, so, the answer to this, I think, is the one that appears almost self-evident. The rabbis understood yamim, believe it or not, to mean days, uh, which would mean that we are dealing uh, with time that elapses within the final messianic scenario. Uh, in that case, if 1290 days and 1335 days are periods you have to wait uh, within the messianic process. So, um, and, and they mean days, 
then moed moedim vachetzi, time times and half a time, would presumably mean a year plus two years plus a half a year. In other words, three and a half years, which corresponds roughly to 1290 and 1335 days. Now this does not tell us anything about when the process would begin. Now I'll, I'll note very soon uh, that there is a problem with this interpretation of days, but first let's look at a rabbinic passage that I think illustrates the understanding of days as days. And that is source number five on your sheet. Uh, I've given you a passage from Sikta Rabati, but there are parallel passages in a number of other Midrashim, Shir Hashirim Rabbah and Bamidbar Rabbah and Rut Rabbah and Sikta Rav Kahana. So here is what this uh, Midrash says. Rabbi Berechia B'Shem Rabbi Levi Omer, Rabbi Berechia in the name of Rabbi Levi said, I've noted this already, the final Redeemer will be like the first one. I'm, I'm reading this in the present tense because of Choser, otherwise I'd be inclined to say uh, just as the first Redeemer concealed himself, I'm sorry, revealed himself to uh, them and then concealed himself from them. Uh, one of the Midrashim says that this was for three months. Where this <laughs> comes from, that Moshe concealed himself, there's a, there's a proof text of sorts. It's not much of a proof text. But, but that's what this Midrash assumes, that Moshe, for, for a brief time, uh, you know, concealed himself from the people and came right back. Uh, thus, the final redeemer uh, uh, will uh, reveal himself to them and then conceal himself. For how long will he conceal himself? For 45 days. That's what it's. That's what, uh, the meaning of the verse. From the time that the uh, the uh, tamid sacrifice will be uh, removed, yamim elef matayim v'tishim. There will be 1290 days, and then it says right away, Happy is the one who will wait for 1,335 days. Elain these extra one, these extra days here, what are they? Uh, and the answer given is, Elu Abba'im Yamim, these are the 45 days, Shemashiach Nigrelahem Vechoser Mehem. These are the days that the Messiah reveals himself to them and then uh, conceals himself from them. The days of concealment are 45. It's very hard to read this uh, to mean years. Uh, uh, even though uh, Rashi, who thinks that the verses themselves mean years, does assume that the Midrash uh, also means years when it says 45 days. Uh, but but in, in fact, the uh, straightforward understanding of days, uh, which is endorsed in this Midrash by traditional commentators on the Midrashim, uh, is by no means without its problems. In other words, I think the rabbis did take it to mean days. But you have to ask yourself, how could they have taken this to mean days? After all, 
when do you, when do you begin this count? From the time that the Tamid sacrifice was abolished. So if after that you have to wait three and a half years or so for the redemption, then the redemption would have come before the Midrash was, was composed. Uh, so what's, go, what's going on here? Um, now before proceeding, I have to at least mention uh, that contemporary Bible scholars who take these uh, days to mean days uh, see this passage as a description of what happened in the days of the Hasmonean revolt and dates Daniel accordingly. Uh, thus, Yamim indeed means days. Uh, the authors of the Da'at Mikra commentary take a strongly traditional approach while at the same time recognizing the persuasiveness of the Hasmonean connection. They understand these as prophecies pointing to a redemption that could have been completed in the Hasmonean period if we had merited this, but now fall into the category of conditional prophecies, prophecies al-Tanai, that the rabbis tell us retain their force with a different application if the condition is not fulfilled or not satisfied. Thus they maintain <coughs> that uh, <coughs> even if you recognize the Hasmonean uh, dimension here, the later efforts at using Daniel to calculate the end, including the reinterpretation of Yamim as years, are not misplaced in principle. But it is virtually impossible that Chazal, that the rabbis maintain this Hasmonean-based understanding. So, Hadra Kusha Leduchta, the question returns. How can uh, one have to wait just three and a half years from the time the Tamid is uh, removed in order to uh, achieve the redemption? So I think that the answer pretty much has to be uh, that from the time of the removal of the Tamid sacrifice was taken to mean from the moment when the period, the eight, marked by the elimination of sacrifice and the desecration of the temple ends. That is, from after May, after the eighth, the time, the period, that began when the temple service was suspended. That time, that period, that eight, is essentially the period of exile, which comes to its symbolic end with the first appearance of the Messiah. After his appearance, one must wait 1,290 days until an unspecified event that will cause him con his concealment, and then an additional 45 days until he reappears and completes the redemption. The bottom line is that Yamim are days, and these verses tell us nothing about when the Messiah will come. They do, however, nothing is too strong, because I think they do allow us to fine-tune our messianic calculations and uh, provide an explanation for that mysterious source 3C, which tells us to wait three years longer than the 400 years that are equivalent to the Egyptian bondage. Uh, you should wait uh, three years longer, right, than the end of the 400-year period. Where does that delay come from? I think it comes from the three and a half years in, of Daniel, the 1,335 days that you have to wait. So 
I think, uh, I mean, nobody else has said this, but I think that this is what explains that otherwise mysterious and completely unexplained date. However, um, when all is said and done, I think we would agree, maybe, maybe not, maybe some of you have been so persuaded by the uh, suggestion I made about what from the time of the ending of the Tamid sacrifice means that you don't think this f is forced. But, but I think it's forced. Uh, the, the straightforward meaning of from the time the Tamid sacrifices was removed is, is certainly, uh, or just about, quite certainly, uh, from the time the temple service ended. Uh, now, that, if, if you say that, yamim can't mean days. And as time passed, uh, uh, and understanding yamim as years no longer delayed the redemption to the very distant future, messianic calculators mobilized Daniel uh, uh, and uh, came up with explanations of those mysterious terms, time, times, and half a time, uh, and uh, explained the 1290 and 1335 uh, in uh, brilliant uh, and uh, intriguing fashion. The challenges are self-evident. Uh, if uh, these are days, uh, then what is the meaning of time, times, and half a time? How does that, re how does how do time, times, and half a time relate, if at all, to 1290 and 1335 years? When does, if these are years, when do you begin counting? Uh, if these are years, then we have, uh, we have explicit information about when the redemption will come. All we have to do is figure out where you start counting 1290 years and then 1335 years. And you have absolutely explicit information in Daniel about the time of the redemption. Uh, so when do you begin the count? Does the count begin in different years in each case and reach the same end point? In other words, does 1290 begin uh, at a slightly later point than 1335 but ends in the same year? Or does each count begin on the same date and hence leads to two different endpoints? And what are those endpoints? So I want to look. Can't they start and end at different times? They could uh, start at different times and end at the same time. They could, uh, they could start uh, at the same time and end at different times. There's not much motive to have them start at different times and end at different times. I mean, in theory, yes, but, but there's no reason why anybody would want to do that. Um, so for much of the remainder of this talk, we, we will be examining four answers uh, uh, to these questions, three by three of the greatest Jewish thinkers of the Middle Ages, and a fourth that provides, as I mentioned earlier, the most striking gematria in the history of messianic calculation. Uh, the three thinkers are Rav Sadegon, uh, the Ramban, and Abarbanel. Saadia, now remember, what's happened now is that we are close enough to a redemption predicted by understanding these numbers as years uh, that uh, we can understand them as years. 
In the case of Saadia, who lived, uh, who, who was writing in the middle, uh, not quite the middle, in the second quarter, pretty much, uh, of the uh, 10th century, um, we find the following uh, very interesting approach. What are time, times, and half a time? Moed, Moadim, Vachetzi. Now, people have usually understood this to mean three and a half times. Moed, one. Moadim, two. Vachetzi, a half. Uh, as I mentioned, the people who took this as days understood it as three and a half years. Moed was a year. But now, uh, we're talking about 1,335 years. So what are, what's Moed? So Moed is, is going to be a period of time. But Sa'adya believes that there are only two and a half times. Moadim v'chetzi. Why? Because the, ver, the, the word Limoed it has to be understood in his view exactly as in the famous verse, Limoed Chodesh Ha'aviv, at the time of the spring month. What does Limoed there mean? It means at the time of what follows. So Limoed Mo'adim Vachetzi means at the time characterized by two and a half periods of time. All right, so there are there are two and a half periods. What are they? So now uh, look at uh, sources six B and C or comments six B and C on your source sheet. Uh, and uh, you know I, I have to I, I have to apologize for asking you to actually concentrate on these numbers, uh, but there's no choice in this case. Six uh, B, from the Exodus to the building of the first temple. Uh, were 480 years. How does that happen? Well, it's an explicit verse in Malachim. Uh, and, uh, you know, whatever some Bible scholars nowadays want to do with that number, uh, there was no question for, uh, for medieval Jews that that was a precise number. So, uh, Forget about the second sentence of 6b for the moment. Um, six C, the duration of the first temple, according to the rabbis, was four hundred and ten years. So, what are the two Moadim, the two time periods that Daniel, who is prophesying after the destruction of the first temple, would be looking back on, or the angel that talks to him would be looking back on? The answer is, the first Moed is 480 years, and the second Moed is 410 years. The two significant time periods that preceded the destruction of the second temple. The time of the, from the exodus to the building of the temple, and the time of the building of the temple. So the Moadim refer to these two time periods that are not equal in length. And then you take half of the total. The total of 480 and 410 is 890. Uh, and uh, uh, half uh, uh, gives 445. And you add them together, and 
the number you get for Moadim Vachetzi for times and a half the time is 1,335. It comes out to exactly the explicit number that we have in verse 12. Uh, now that's that's brilliant. Um, uh, and then you have to figure out when to start counting. And for Sa'adia, you start counting at two different points. Uh, uh, 1335, you count from the prophecy of Daniel, uh, which took place some years before the building of the second temple. Uh, and by uh, Sa'adia's reckoning, uh, this brings us a redemption in either 965 or 968 CE. A few decades after he wrote, he could have lived to see that. He didn't, but he could have. Um, 1290, he says, starts at a different point, uh, but uh, ends at the same time. And he uh, says, you have to keep remember that the dates for the first, uh, for the duration of the first exile, the one in Egypt, uh, are three in number. The rabbis tell us it was 210 years. The uh, number given in the covenant with Abraham and Brit ben Habitarim is 400. And the number given in the account of the Exodus itself is 430. And Jewish tradition sees these three numbers as starting at different points, but ending at the same point. So similarly, that is how we should read 1290 and 1335. They end at the same point, which is in the 960s CE. Now, this is actually, uh, despite its brilliance, it's actually difficult, uh, even very difficult, I think, because the number of 1290 is said to begin with the removal of the, of the Tamid sacrifice, which is around the time of the destruction of the first temple. He's working with the first temple side, yeah. Um, so it's hard to say that it begins with Daniel's prophecy. But Sa'adia does say that. Uh, had he started with the destruction of the first temple, then the uh, uh, redemption should have come a few years before he wrote. So he couldn't do that. But it is, it is a dochak. It is, a, it, it is difficult. Uh, although the, the calculation was cri- is quite uh, impressive. Uh, although I will tell you right away, not as impressive as the two that we're going to be talking about now. Uh, in any event, 968 CE passed, and we were not redeemed. So we come to the Ramban. Uh, the first element of his calculation is absolutely straightforward. It doesn't involve any concentration. Uh, you don't have to do any uh, arithmetic even. Uh, it's just obvious. You count 1335 from the destruction of the second temple. I mean, that's, that's what the verses, you know, imply. Uh, and that brings, since the rabbis uh, had a date for the destruction of the second temple that corresponds to our 68 CE rather than the 70 that we talk about, so that brings a redemption uh, 1335 years later in the year 1403 CE. The Ramban was writing in the 1260s. Um, what about 1290? That starts at the same time, so it ends 45 years earlier, uh, and we have uh, the famous 
uh, rabbinic passages about a Messiah son of Joseph who appears before Messiah son of David uh, and uh, wins victories against the enemies of Israel but is killed uh, and uh, followed by the appearance of uh, Messiah son of David, Mashiach ben David. And uh, 1290 tells us when uh, the Messiah son of Joseph will come. And 1335 tells us when Messiah, son of David, will come. That's just simple as anything, and therefore attractive as anything. Uh, it's, not, it's not more attractive to have something complicated. But what do you do with Moed, Moedim, Bechetzi? What do you do with a time, times, and half a time? And here things do get complicated, but uh, they're even more impressive than what Saadia did. Remember, what Saadia did was get, was, was get a, a, a time times and half a time that equaled 1335. But 1335 was not anything, it wasn't a chiddush, doesn't tell us anything new, because that's explicit in, in, in a later verse. It's just interesting that it corresponds, but it doesn't give us any kind, it doesn't, it doesn't validate anything. Uh, but uh, here is what the Ramban did, and I, you know, this is this is the one that will require maybe the most uh, degree of concentration. So try to try to uh, concentrate a little harder for the next two or three minutes. Take a look at source six <laughs> F. I'm sorry, six uh, E. The rabbis tell us they do tell us this that the end of Greek rule in Israel. Uh, was 206 years before the destruction of the temple. And this, uh, for the Ramban, is the symbolic transition from Greece to Rome. There are four kingdoms in Daniel. Uh, The third was understood to be Greece. The fourth was understood to be Rome. By the time of the Ramban, it was understood to be Rome slash Christendom. So So the transition of power to the fourth kingdom uh, is 206 years before the destruction of the temple. Um, <coughs> Moed, um, uh, all right, let me, okay. Moed is the period of the exile identified in the covenant with Abraham. 400 years, plus the 40 years in the desert. In other words, it's the period of, of servitude, of subjugation, of, 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 of lack of, of uh, you know, uh, settled life. Um, 400 for the bondage in Egypt, according to Brit ben Habitarim, plus 40, of the sojourn in the desert. That's the Moed. Moed is 440 years. Uh, as a result, Moed Wadim Vachetzi is, if you do the calculation, uh, 1,540 years. Right. What is the significance of that number? What is the significance of 1,540 years? It seems to have no significance whatsoever. And yet, remarkably, it points to precisely the 1335th year after the destruction of the Second Temple. That number is going to prove to us that we were right 
And assuming that you wait 1,335 years from the destruction of the, temp of the second temple. Now, how, how does that work? Uh, well, if the symbolic period of Roman rule began 206 years before the destruction of the temple, and you then have to wait <coughs> 1,335 years after the destruction of the temple for the redemption to begin. And the redemption begins after the end of Roman rule, which means that uh, the Roman rule after the temple lasts for 1,334 years, right before the 1,335th year of the redemption. Uh, and uh, when you... Uh, add these numbers together, uh, it turns out that the duration of Roman Christian rule is exactly 1,540 years, 206 plus 1,334. Uh, in other words, Moed, Moadim, Vachetzi accords with 1,335 years after the destruction as the date of the redemption. Uh, if, if this remains uh, you know, not perfectly clear, uh, you can think about it afterwards. But the Ramban has really made Moed Moadim Vachetzi produce a redemption 1,335 years after the destruction of the Second Temple, which confirms his uh, understanding of what that term, what that number means. For Sa'adya, Moadim Vachetzi simply produced 1335, a number we already knew from an explicit verse. For the Ramban, Moed Moadim Vachetzi yields the 1540 years of the role of the rule of Rome Christendom, which culminates in 1403 CE, corresponding precisely to the year of the redemption if we wait 1335 years beginning with the destruction of the Second Temple. <laughs> this powerfully reinforces his other simpler track, to wit that the wait begins with that destruction. There is something else that I would have said, but I'm worried about time. Uh, uh, if you look at 6F, uh, you'll see something that could be interesting, but I, can't, don't, I don't think I can allow myself to do it. And so we come to Abarbanel. And here is something, this is going to be simpler uh, and no less uh, remarkable, maybe more remarkable. Uh, it starts out with something that will make you laugh uh, at Abarbanel, not with him. 1403 passed. 1335 years after the destruction of the temple had passed. The redemption hadn't come. But the position that you should count these this number from the destruction of the temple was so plausible, almost compelling. You know, when the Tamid sacrifice is removed, in other words, when the temple service is removed, you have to wait 1,335 years. I mean, it's hard to find another starting point. And so Abarbanel did something. Well, I'll tell you what he did, uh, uh, but you shouldn't laugh right away. Um, he said, you add the numerical value of the word Yamim to 1335. You add the gematria of, 1330, of, of, of Yamim to 1335. 
And so 1335, Yamim, is 1435. uh, CE, but something like 64 or thereabouts, and we'll get to that. Um, so, in order to make people stop laughing, uh, Rabnel first of all points out that the angel talking to Daniel explicitly said that these numbers are not supposed to be easily understandable. Uh, so, and, and after all, uh, if you want to say three and a half time periods, you wouldn't normally say a time, times, and half a time. The angel is obviously trying to talk in a somewhat uh, obscure fashion. So adding a, a gematria is not quite that ridiculous. But, but uh, if, you're not, if, if, if you stop laughing, you still would probably <laughs> chuckle. Um, but then Abarbanel tells us something really quite straightforward about those, that time, times, and half a time. He says, quite plausibly, that the Moed, that the time, is the 410-year period of the first temple. That was the, the significant time period that immediately preceded Daniel. That's the Moed, the time of the duration of the first temple. What happens when you multiply 410 by 3 and a half? You get 1435. You get 1335 plus the gematria of Yamin. That is precisely what you get. So you should stop laughing. And then you get something that should make you, I don't know, certainly not laugh. Um, we have here the only messianic calculation I know of, uh, of an event that already happened earlier than the time of the calculator. If you start 1290 from around from 64 or so, uh, you come up with the year 1454, uh, which you can manipulate a little bit and, uh, and you get 1453. But even if you stay with 1454, it's not so terrible. Uh, but Rabbi Bernal does manipulate it. What happened in 1453? Rabbi Bernal is writing in the 1490s. What happened in 1453? No. Say that louder. Disputation. What? Disputation. No, no, no. What about the Turks? Defeat of the Turks. No, is that the defeat of the Turks? The Turkish siege of Constantinople that culminated in the fall of the Eastern Roman Empire, the fall of the fourth kingdom of Daniel, 
the fall of Rome happened after twelve hundred, after thirteen hundred and ninety years from the from the elimination of the Tamid sacrifice. Right? Mm-hmm. This was an event that shook Christian Europe. You know, for us, we have to. You know, one person here thought of it, but for them, this was a this was a monumental, frightening event for Christians. Uh, and for Jews, it was the defeat of Rome. Uh, how can you not uh, accept this argument? You can if you want to try very hard, but you have to be extremely uh, strong-willed in your skepticism. Um, And uh, note the strength of Barbanel's faith. Um, uh, he was writing in 1498 and predicting a messianic date that was only five years away. But 1503 passed and we were not redeemed. And so the people had to seek a new starting point for this 1335 year period. And if you look back at source 3a, uh, the one about how the world will last uh, 6,000 years and the final 2,000 year period is the Messianic age. This can mean uh, that the first year when the Messiah might come is the first year after 4,000. Uh, and when you're told to wait, you should start waiting from the time when the thing you're waiting for might happen. And therefore, it seemed very logical to say that when Daniel is told to wait 1,335 years, he should start waiting in the year 4001, which produces a redemption in the Jewish year 5,335, which happens to be 1575 CE. And then a few messianic calculators in 16th century Italy noticed something. Uh, They noticed uh, the most remarkable gematria in the history of Jewish messianic uh, 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 calculation, at least that I know of. Uh, Take a guess as to the gematria of the last two verses of Daniel in their entirety. What is the gematria of Ashrei HaMechakev Yagiya Liyamim Elef Shlosh Meyor Shloshim V'Chamisha V'Atalech L'Kates what do you think the gematria is of all the letters in those two verses with no finagling, no manipulation at all? 1335 is not interesting because that number is already there in the text. Well, 1575 is a Christian number. No. Come on, somebody has to come up with this. What did we just see was the date of the redemption on the Jewish calendar, if you start counting from the year 4001. When does it come? When, what is the culminating date in the Jewish calendar? 5335. Well, you've just given me the gematria of those two verses in their entirety. Uh, not believing that, 
if you lived uh, around uh, uh, 1550 or so, uh, is really very impressive, a very impressive level of skepticism. So I have six minutes. There are messianic dates after this. Uh, 1648 uh, was a date of resurrection according to the Zohar, uh, and it was it turned out to be a date of persecution. The Jews noted that the word Chevlei uh, Mashiach equals 408, which is Tach. These are known as the decrees of Tach, right? Um, nonetheless, calculations recede in importance. Daniel becomes less useful without an evident starting point, and I remind you that the plain meaning of days is days. Messianic movements, which are rare, were in any event not tied to a significant degree to calculations. Despite the marginal importance of calculations, the 20th century produced two messianic movements profoundly different from each other, but sharing a highly unusual and striking characteristic, namely, their existence and persistence are not dependent on their messianic character. Religious Zionism, for all the messianic rhetoric of a significant element in the movement, can exist, and in certain circles does exist, without its messianic dimension. And there is, in any event, atypical, since it has no messianic figure. And in that sense, you might argue, it's not really a messianic movement in the classic sense. And I think that's true. Lubavitch is a movement that predated its messianic affirmations and could survive without them. And in each case, uh, concrete messianic calculations play either no role or an utterly peripheral one. I was once asked after a different talk about messianic movements why these serial disappointments should not lead us to conclude that the messianic faith itself is a fantasy. The sociologist Sam Hallman uh, wrote that most modern Orthodox Jews do not take Lubavitch messianism as seriously as I do because they do not take the messianic faith itself seriously. Middle-class modern Orthodox Jews in the United States, he said, have no genuine desire to have their comfortable lives upset by the messianic advent. And I should add that the Rabbi Moses de Leon said exactly the same thing about rich Jews in medieval Christian Spain. Um, I'm not sure that this is entirely fair, but I suppose that it is possible that messianic skepticism in a sub-segment of orthodoxy uh, is one of about a dozen uh, reasons for indifference to what I consider the historic distortion of a key element of a, fundam of a foundational Jewish belief. But as to the uh, grounds proposed by my questioner for messianic skepticism, serial disappointment in a matter like this, uh, serial disappointments, are no doubt psychologically challenging, but they carry no logical weight, whatever. It is overwhelmingly likely that God does not want us to know the date of the redemption any more than he wants us to know the time of our death. Both sorts of knowledge would distort our lives, whether national or individual. Moreover, God, as the Rambam said, does not want us to imagine that we have knowledge that we do not have. And to move to the other end of the faith continuum, where people maintain excessive confidence regarding their knowledge of the messianic advent, I don't think it's too early to warn against the almost standard expressions in quite a number of orthodox circles of absolute certainty that the year 6000 is the ultimate terminus for redemption. It is certainly not too early uh, to make clear that Reshit Tzmichat Ulatenu, 
should be seen as an expression of conviction or bitachon, that the state of Israel will endure until the redemption, but not that the final redemption will surely arrive in 20, 50, 100, or even 200 years. At the same time, God does want us to anticipate redemption every day, while simultaneously recognizing that we do not really know. Sipita lishua, did you anticipate redemption, is a question that we are told is posed by the heavenly court. The absence of such anticipation is not merely a failure of faith, but a recipe for national and perhaps even personal despair. Amos Funkenstein, a non-religious Jewish historian, wrote a sharp and memorable sentence about our theme with which I will conclude. The Jewish utopian tradition, he said, quote, was committed to a messianic ideal, but had always to sharpen its critical faculties against it, unquote. The history of messianic calculations illustrates that commitment in all its admirable fervor and ingenuity, but it serves as an admonition to remain aware of the second obligation as well.